Have any of you run a marathon? If you did, how did it go? Would you do it again? I have one friend in particular who ran one marathon in his life, and he continues to say to me almost every time we talk, Mike, that was the hardest thing I have ever done. And this guy has not had an easy life by any means. I wonder if Paul ever got out for a run. We know that he did run from time to time. He ran from persecution. He ran from people who despised the message he was preaching. He ran from danger. But I wonder if Paul ever got out for a little jog around the block for some exercise. But we do know is at the moment of writing our text for this morning, Paul is not doing much running. He is not free to just go outside and take a little jog because remember, he is in chains. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And yet this is what he says to describe his life at that present moment. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is talking like a runner. He's using running language. He says, I press on, I strain myself, I put one foot in front of the other, Because just like a marathon, life gets tough. If you've ever run a marathon or if you've ever gone out for a long jog, you know that point that you hit where your lungs start to burn, your muscles are screaming, and your brain is shouting the question at you, why are you doing this? Exhaustion sets in, the pain builds, and you kind of want to stop. Doesn't that sound like an accurate description of life itself? You don't have to have run a marathon to know what exhaustion feels like. Maybe not a physical exhaustion, but let's call it a life exhaustion. What is it that exhausts you? What is it that leaves you sitting on the edge of your bed, staring at the floor, wishing that there was a giant pause button you could just slap so that you could catch your breath? Is it the stuff that's going on right now? The political discourse, or maybe not so discourse, that you are witnessing? The things people are saying on the news or on the internet, does that exhaust you? The restrictions, the constant head on a swivel, different things that you have to listen to from the mayor and others about what we are supposed to do, Wondering what's going to happen with school? Is that what is exhausting you? Or is it nothing special about the time we're in right now, but the things that give you exhaustion, give you anxiety, have been by your side your entire life? Because people always seem to be disappointing you. It always seems to be the case that you can put your best foot forward, you can put both feet on the pavement and try to run, try to do your best, and it still comes back to you with failure. Is it yourself? Are you the person that exhausts you the most? 
as you get out of bed and you slip on your sinful nature as easily as a couple of slippers and it follows with you the rest of the day or your secrets from the past, the things that you know you should feel guilty about hanging over your head, ruining any chance at joy? Is it the fight with temptation that greets you every day or addiction? Are you exhausted? Because you're wondering, how must God feel about you, a sinner that you are? Is that what exhausts you? In the 2006 movie called The Fountain, which I would bet money most of us have not seen, but it was my favorite movie in high school, one of the characters is giving a eulogy to one of her friends, and she's doing a terrible job, in my opinion, because she says, all of us live our lives trying to get some kind of wholeness, she says. Very few of us ever do. So we leave this world the same way we came in kicking and screaming. That's depressing. But is that not also an accurate picture of how most of us, most people, view life? A desperate grab for some meaning, all the while knowing that they probably will fail. The pursuit of wholeness, of peace, of harmony, of satisfaction, with the sneaking suspicion, the creeping fear that they will never really find it. Isn't that a description of what life can be like? Trying to make sense of the exhaustion, trying to keep your head above water with everything that's happening to you and through you and from you. But brothers and sisters, through Paul's letter to the Philippians, we are seeing that that is not your life. That might be how some people view their lives, but that is not how you need to look at your life. Because of what Paul says in this verse, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. Present tense. Paul says, I put one foot in front of the other. I'm running this race for a prize that has been given to me already. Past tense. You see, listen to Paul and hear that life is not a race. It's not a competition. There's no question of how you're going to do at the end. Life is less like a sprint to the finish line and more like a sprint home with your brother right next to you because you know that mom's got your favorite dinner in the oven. Life is more like sitting on a roller coaster with its ups and downs, its crazy twists and turns, but you know that you're going to end that ride safe and secure and in one piece. That's your life, brothers and sisters, because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus ran his own race, didn't he? He ran it perfectly. When Jesus set both feet on the ground, he put one foot in front of the other and followed his Father's will for humankind to the T. And when Jesus saw that cross on the hill, that instrument of death, he ran to it. Why? So that he could do that for you. He ran to the cross for you, let him be killed for you, was buried for you, rose 
for you. And now Jesus stands at that finish line with the trophy in his hands, and he says, it's got your name on it. You're a winner. You've already won, even though you're still running the race. Brothers and sisters, your life is not a desperate grab for meaning and for wholeness, wondering if you are ever going to find harmony or peace. You have it already. You know wholeness because you are wholly loved, wholly forgiven, wholly at peace, wholly at one with God your Father in heaven because Jesus has forgiven your sin. He has bridged the gap between you and God. And he has defeated your greatest enemy, death. The worries, the anxieties of life, we could say that they all stem from your foe, death. The aches and the pains, the muscle spasms, the sickness, even the disappointments and the frustrations that you have, the fight with your sinful nature, they all point to the greater issue that one day we will die if Jesus doesn't come back first. But if that's the greater issue, brothers and sisters, that is the foe that Jesus defeated on the cross by suffering death himself. Jesus has rid death of any power it should have over you so that death is not something to be afraid of. It's a mere passing through a doorway into the next life. In fact, everything that frustrates you about this life, Paul says at the end of our lesson, God is going to transform. He's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like Christ's perfect body. So if that's true about the root issue, the issue of death, then why should anxiety have any control over you? Why should the signs of death, the signs that life is not okay, trouble you? Because you know that you win that your race ends with you embracing your Savior and taking the trophy for yourself. Paul says that this changes the way that we live in this way. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. There it is, brothers and sisters. If you're looking for the meaning of life, for the purpose of life, Paul says it so simply. Live up to what you have already attained. You already win. You are already the winner of this race. So run like a winner. You know you are heaven-bound, you are heaven-destined, but you're not there yet. The race goes on. And... As you are putting one foot in front of the other and the pain sets in again, the challenges come, the sweat drips from your brow into your eyes and you can't see the finish line. You can't quite see your Savior standing there as easily anymore because anxieties are getting to you. What Paul says is this. Tell that voice in your head to be still. Silence the voice of anxiety and let God speak. Let God tell you the truth about you and where you are headed and who you are. Let God re-inform you through his word and through the sacraments that you are heaven-bound and that you win. And Paul continues. 
Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as, often, as, I, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul goes on the offensive. He attacks the mindset of the world. You see, if you don't know where your wholeness is, if you don't know where meaning is or where satisfaction can come from, you will look for it in all other different places. Paul says, if this is your way of viewing your life, your God will be your stomach. It'll be like you're a runner on the tracks, but you can't see the finish line because you're not looking there. Instead, your gaze is going to everything around you that distracts you, and that's no way to run a race. That's no way to live life. But that is why people search for meaning, search for wholeness, and so many other things in behaviors and substances to try to grasp at that wholeness that can only be found in God. Paul sets an example for us. Because as he talks about them, he doesn't have a smirk on his face. He doesn't snicker about them. He doesn't pat himself on the back and say, Look, I have it figured out. I know God. If only they would get on my level. No, Paul says this with tears. So would we shed a tear for someone who doesn't know Christ? Instead of hating them? Instead of ridiculing them? or sitting around the dinner table complaining about how hard they make our lives, would we actually show sadness? Because they don't know where wholeness comes from, and we do. Why should we have this free gift of wholeness and harmony with God through Jesus Christ, and they don't? We don't deserve it, and of course they don't either. But instead, would we feel sad? Would we feel motivated to share the simple and free wholeness of the grace of God with people who don't know it? Would we feel motivated to run our race in such a way to make the way of Christ beautiful to them so that they can know where meaning comes from, so that they can know the mindset of the gospel? You see, Paul explains that the mindset of the gospel is being okay with not being okay. The mindset of the gospel is being at home with the feeling of not being at home here on planet Earth. Because the mindset of the gospel sees your citizenship not here, but in heaven. Earth is not your home. It is what your life has become like a jog through a foreign land. And you know where your destination is. So if life on earth makes you feel uncomfortable, makes you frustrated, gives you anxiety, those are all signs that scream to you, this is not where you belong, dear Christian. But you are heaven bound. And Christ will bring you there. And until then, just run. Put one foot in front of the other. Run the race Christ has marked out for you. Run like a winner. 
Run like you mean it. Run home to heaven as Christ has laid hold of you and that's exactly where you are going. Amen. Would you please stand? And join with me in confessing our common Christian faith using the words of 